You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10 reading through to verse 12 of chapter 62. Book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, reading from verse 10 through to chapter 62, verse 12. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem, In the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your Saviour comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. God will bless to us that reading of his holy word. Well, we're delighted to welcome Mike Reeves to Dundee. For those of you who don't know Mike, uh, he's been very involved with UCCF. He is a theologian um, and a very good one. 
you can, uh, if you want, I would strongly recommend his books such as The Good God or The Unquenchable Flame. He makes church history sound really interesting. And some of you who feel that that's impossible, uh, read the book. Don't be prejudiced. Uh, we are delighted to have uh, Mike with us. He spoke at the Solace Day yesterday, and I would encourage you to get hold of his talk once we produce that, because it really was excellent. But Mike, where are you? Come and share God's word with us. We do welcome you again to Dundee. Good evening. What words from Isaiah, weren't they? Tonight, as we look at Isaiah, we are going to be looking at what the Bible calls a profound mystery. And my hope is that wherever you are at yourself, wherever life is at, that in this cold darkness, this will be a sunshine on you, great refreshment for you. And that, yes, wherever you're at, you will see and think of Christ's church stepping out in mission. And when you think of Christ's church going out, sharing the glory of Christ, you'll think, oh yeah, that's where I'm at. That's what I want to be part of. Let's pray. Oh dear Father, almighty Father, please do a mighty act tonight. And through your word, shine light into our lives. May we see Jesus. May we see who he is, what he's done for us, and how he is towards us, so that we might treasure him more, so that we might share his passions for his glory and our joy. Amen. Now, these lines we had read to us from the end of chapter 61, chapter 62, they are the middle verses of a poem. A poem of swelling joy in the middle of one of Isaiah's songs of the Messiah. Now, if you have a look at um, chapter 61, verse 1, you'll find it very helpful to have the text open in front of you as we go through it. Chapter 61, verse 1, you'll see who's speaking here. Do you see? Chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Hello. Who's this? He has anointed me. Why? To bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Ring a bell? These are words that Jesus reads out in Luke 4, reading in the synagogue in Nazareth, saying, that's about me. This is me, for these are the words of the anointed one, the Messiah, Christ. And he says... I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom. And that thought that he, 
Christ is the bridegroom and his people are the bride. That thought is what this little song is all about. It's where it climaxes, the the verse of this song in the middle here, in verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so, this song rocks out one of the great anthems of the Bible, of Christ the bridegroom, who comes to win and love his bride, the church. Now, if you think about it, the story of the Bible, the story of the universe, is a story that begins and ends with weddings. Think right back to the beginning. In the beginning, Adam weds Eve. Genesis 2.24 For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, do you remember what the Apostle Paul said when he read Genesis 2.24? Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 in Ephesians 5 and he says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Because for the Apostle Paul, Adam was a picture, a pattern of the one to come. And so what you see in Adam is a picture of the truth we will see in Christ. And so just as at the very beginning of the Bible you have the wedding of Adam, that is a picture, a pattern, a type of what will happen at the end. And then I saw, coming down out of heaven, the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, prepared beautifully as a bride for her bridegroom. That is where it is all heading. And this, of course, goes so deep in us. Whatever people believe, this goes deep into their blood. Because which day is it that people talk about as the happiest day of their lives? What is it that is the dream that people have to be in a happy marriage? Why is it that stories with a cliche happy ending end with... And they got married and lived happily ever after. What is the reason for why good marriages are dreamt of by so many? Why? Why is that the cliche happy ending? It is because you can't come up with a better ending. Because that is God's definitive happy ending. That is the happy ending as he has designed it and how he wants it. And you, so you, you simply cannot imagine something superior for the wedding is his happy ending. Can I flip that round on its head, in fact? And especially for anyone here with a painful experience of marriage, with divorced parents, experience of a painful breakup. Now, if that's you, I, I do not, we're going to be talking about marriage tonight, but I don't want talk of marriage to hurt you every time I say the word. 
And so I want us to think, why is it that when you see a marriage gone bad, why is that so traumatising? Why is that so deeply painful? Well, it's because the very best things, when they go bad, are always the very worst. And so can I say, if that is you, and as we speak of marriage tonight, that I just feel like I'm dripping vinegar into a wound just by saying that word. If you've got an experience, a painful experience of marriage, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the pain you must have gone through. But tonight, come, come and see this marriage. For in this marriage, this is the marriage to which all Christians are heading. This is the marriage to which all marriages should be pointing. Some fail to do that so disastrously. But the new identity of the Christian is found here. In this ultimately triumphant, sadness-abolishing marriage. The identity of the Christian is to be found here. So come here and in this marriage find comfort, balm for all your pains in marriage. This is the Christian's new identity and this is where we're heading. So come with me. We'll start at chapter 61 verse 10. And it all starts with the anointed one, Christ, being got ready. Now do you see 61 verse 10? Full of rejoicing. He's clothed with salvation in a beautiful robe of righteousness, ready for his wedding. And in fact, you'll see the same thing. It's worth flicking back to this. If you flick back to chapter 59, verse 17, you see the similar sort of thing happening. He put on, 59, 17, righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now, he's getting ready. Why? What for? Well, because 61, 11, the next verse, you see, he wants something like a fruitful garden to grow. Do you see that? 61, 11? He wants some object of righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Oh, now what could that be? What is this object of righteousness and praise to sprout up? What is it? Well, verse 1 of chapter 62, he goes on, and it is still him speaking, by the way. All of this is him speaking. You can see it down to verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. It's still him speaking. So what is this object of righteousness and praise that he's going to bring about? 62.1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake. See, all this getting ready of his, all this putting on of garments of salvation, all this purpose, this desire for this object of praise and righteousness to sprout up before all the nations, it's about her, the holy city. 
where God dwells, prepared as a bride, Zion, Jerusalem. He clothes himself ready and his purpose is his church. And of her, he says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, all the kings your glory. This is the bridegroom. See his passion, his zeal, he's wrapped himself in. He will not rest, he will not stop until his bride is glorified. And all the world gasps at her beauty. Now, how we need to hear this today. Because it is so easy for us to get down and discouraged by how the church is marginalised, messed up, dirty, confused, sneered at and ignored. Just so were God's people in Isaiah's day. But think who she is. The bride of the all-powerful, all-loving Christ. I just think, if... If my darling wife were being sneered at, abused, ignored, all my heart would go out to her, and that's me, and I'm a scumbag. All my heart would go out to my darling wife. Think how it is with a bridegroom of bridegrooms. Oh, he will come. He will come, and he will take her to himself, and he will vindicate her. He will heal her. And glorify her. But let's pause for a moment to see what's going on here. Because what does it mean that the church is to be married to Christ? What does that mean? Well, have a look at the language of righteousness here. See, in 61.10, look closely at this. In 61.10, he says that the Lord has covered him with a robe of righteousness. See that? But then in 62.1, he says he's going to cause her righteousness to go forth as brightness. He's going to ensure, verse 2, that the nations see her righteousness. He's righteous, and now she's seen as righteous. Do you see it? It's the gospel. Let me explain. In fact, let me let a great hero of mine explain. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Now, when Luther rediscovered the gorgeous news that God saves by his grace, by his kindness alone and sparked the Reformation with that rediscovery, people would come back at him and say, Luther, what are you talking about? How could this be that God can save by grace alone? What do you mean? And he wrote a little tract, which you can read, and I'd recommend you reading it, called The Freedom of a Christian. And in it, he explained his discovery like this. He told a story. And he said, you can really understand this gospel best... If you understand it as the story 
of a king representing Jesus. And a poor girl, in fact a prostitute, representing us. And he said, this girl, she can never be his bride by impressing him, by doing good deeds. But on their wedding day, what happens is this. He comes to her and claims her. And on her wedding day, she says this. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, says this prostitute, I share with you. And so she shares with him all her shame, all her debt she shares with him. And he turns around on that happy day and says, my darling, all that I am I give to you. And all that I have I share with you. And in that moment, he is hers. She becomes the queen. And all that is his, he shares with her. All his kingdom, he shares with her. That is the great marriage swap of the gospel. And is it not beautiful? Our great bridegroom has taken all our sin, all our death, all our judgment, and shared with us freely, just by giving out to us that word of promise. He's shared with us all his righteousness, his blessedness, his eternal life. Meaning, said Luther, that the sinner, with all her sins, can Confidently, he said, display her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I've sinned, and I have, if I've sinned, yet my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned and all, all his is mine and all mine is his. No, we are not righteous in ourselves as Christians. Oh gosh, no. But because of Jesus, our bridegroom, because we are united to him, because he's taken to us by that kind word in that marriage moment, because of that, now we can say, I, despite... All the sin that is in me, because of that marriage swap, I can say, I now, I too will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul now shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Oh, he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. For the church to be the bride of Christ means that she is righteous. With his righteousness perfectly acceptable in his sight. But it's more. More. Because do you see just how proud of her? 
he is in this passage. You see, he wants her to be an object of wonder. He wants all the nations, all the world to see her beauty. Do you see all the light language here in verses 1 and 2? Brightness, a burning torch, glory. It's like, it's like she's a second sun in the sky. So glorious, even kings will look. Even the glory of kings will not compare to her. Their eyes will be torn away from their own glory to look at her. In fact, verse 3, you shall be a crown of beauty. In the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Oh, can you believe it? That is his kind design. That he finds this people, this church, sprawling in the dirt, wretched and helpless, not helping themselves at all. And he picks her up. He makes her new with a new name. He cleans her, transforms her, beautifies her and makes her a crown of beauty in his hand. A crown. A crown is the most precious treasure. A crown is the reward for great victors and conquerors. A crown is the greatest sign of honour for its bearer. And so, I think of Paul, for example, writing to the Philippians, and here is pastoral heart here. There's this lovely moment in Philippians where Paul writes to them, and he calls them, do you remember this? He calls them my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Because they are his reward, the sign of his faithful apostleship. Or closer to home, Proverbs 12 verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. The church is the excellent wife of Jesus Christ. She is his most precious treasure. She is his reward for his great conquest. She is the sign of Of just who he is. That he is the one who can awaken the dead. He is the one who can save the helpless and gather mankind together in love. The church is the great testimony of who Jesus is. His crown, his glory. And so he will show her off to the world. And... That is no self-involved, arrogant brag 
No, he holds her out for all the world to see because through the church it is made clear Jesus saves scumbags. Jesus saves murderers. He saves fools. Jesus has the ability to transform the vicious and the petty into saints who overflow with love, generosity, kindness. I just think of that video. Was that not beautiful? Lives affected, transformed by the power of Jesus' love. I I think of a lady I met last Sunday evening. We started talking. She had a very obviously broken nose. And she told me, my mother gave this to me when she punched me in the face when I was six. I was abused throughout my childhood. And my mother is extremely hostile to my having become a Christian three years ago, she said. But I could see this in her face. She wasn't making it up. She was very hurt. But she said, Jesus has healed my bitterness. My mother doesn't want to hear about Jesus, but I love her. And I want to show her Jesus' love. To see this poor woman from that wretched background filled with love for the mother who'd abused her. Is that not beautiful? The power of Jesus in a woman's life. Can I tell you about a very different woman? Can I tell you about my wife? You see how a husband wants to talk of his beloved wife. Let me tell you of Bethan. Bethan, she is very different to me. Uh, she's, I mean, she's fun to be with for a start. She's beautiful. <laughs> and how do I put this? She has a tendency to the Welshness. She's Welsh. And the <laughs> thing is, we always have our wedding anniversary right around the time of the Six Nations England Wales match. And for the last few years, it's always been Wales who've been winning. So it doesn't help the anniversaries. But. We come from these very, very different backgrounds. We're personality-wise, we're different. Socially, we come from different backgrounds. We've always loved, we love each other so dearly. It's, a, it's a, been a very, very sweet marriage. And the Lord has blessed me with a wife I really don't deserve. And we've always enjoyed the fact that in our differences, we're a little model of what you see in the church. Just... A little model of how across real differences we love each other. Now I know that is just a piffling little example. But think, in the church, the spirit draws together a loving family of men and women, black and white. In the church, old divisions are broken down. Old enemies become brothers and sisters. In the church is displayed for all the world to see the hope of world peace. She shines with a divine glory because she is a taste of heaven come to earth. And so the church the bride, she's made new, she's made righteous, and of course, 
Christ wants to hold her out for all the world to see. That all might see this hope. Here is what he can do. But there's more. There is even more. Now. Okay. Put a seatbelt on. Because what we're about to see is so wild. You are not going to believe it. Unless you see it for yourself right there in black and white in God's own word. Are you ready? Verse 4. Seatbelt on. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called. My translation translates it fully here. You shall be called. My delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as the young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. If I heard that Christ is merciful to sinners, that is amazing. But I, I can take that in. If I hear Christ is kind and gracious, forgiving towards those who willfully reject him, it's stunning, but I, I can take it in. But this, it says, my delight is in her. The Lord delights in you as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So your God shall rejoice over you. Oh, pinch me. I mean, this is, this is not some distant God who thinks, ugh, flicks out a little bit of grace, a little bit of salvation and then gallops off into the distance, is it? No, you see here, Jesus Christ has the most passionate love for, delight in his bride. She thrills him. She's not some difficult charity case for him. His delight is in her. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that she's earned his favor by flirting her way into it or anything like that. No, no, no. Christ creates his church out of nothing. But in her, he has created something that makes his pupils dilate. That makes his heart skip a beat. And that love that he has for her is the reason for it all. Why did God create the universe in the first place? That the eternal son of God might have a bride. That he might share his all with. On whom he might pour out the oceans of love that were in his heart. Now think of that. When you step outside and go home tonight. You step outside. And you see the clouds going past overhead. You look out. See a star twinkling so far away. Why? Why? Why is that there? Why is all this here? As a wedding present from the most devoted bridegroom to his beloved bride. 
That is creation. Why salvation? Why did the Son endure the cross? For the joy set before him, says Hebrews. What joy? What joy through the cross? Surely the joy of what it would achieve. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the wedding of the bridegroom has come. The marriage has come and his bride is ready. Everything you see he does is for her. She is his passion, his motivation, his delight. Now friends, it means what a Christ. If you have any love for him, share his passions, his concerns. If you see how beautiful he is and his ways are, walk in them. Resolve with him now. For Zion's sake, I too will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I too will not be quiet. Let's resolve now that we will not put up with blemishes in the bride of Christ. Let's resolve we will not put up with sinful divisions. We will not put up with Christians ourselves living for our own name rather than our bridegroom's. No, let us resolve, we will not be quiet. We won't put up with it. We want her righteousness to shine forth as brightness, beautiful brightness. Her salvation to go out as a burning torch. For all the world to see that one light, that hope found in Jesus. And if the church is the beloved bride of Christ... Friends, treat her with great respect. I think there seems to be a particularly endemic sin of this age. That we love to have the church look at us. We love, in whatever we do, to have, to have people say, oh, isn't he doing just a great job? Isn't he just wonderful? We couldn't do without her. We love to have the church look at us. Just think what's going on. Think, think what that is. Getting the bride of Jesus Christ to get her eyes to look to you. Imagine her on her wedding day, dressed, ready for her bridegroom, and you try to get her to look at you, to fall in love with you. That is flirting with the bride of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends. Friends of Jesus Christ do not flirt with his bride. True friends of Christ gently point her eyes to him. And say, look to him, your beautiful bridegroom. And here's the thing. This passion and concern that he has for his church that that she might shine out before all the world like a crown of shining beauty this is a passion that clearly can thrill the greatest heart and occupy the greatest mind that there is for this is the passion of the son of God himself and so 
This is no petty dream. No, this is the definitive passion and purpose. There is no other relationship than this better. No other life purpose than this better. So, if you would share the most beautiful, the most satisfying, delight-giving passion that there is, share this. The church, through all her many differently gifted ways, many different gifts are given to her, the church holding out the glory of Christ, his righteousness, his salvation, how he can make all things new. Brothers and sisters, know this almost incredible truth. Our God rejoices over us, for he has clothed us with perfect garments of salvation. What news? Let us then go forth as brightness to a world that is so full of ugliness. Let us show the beauty of Christ's love. How he can transform, liberate lives to a world that's so filled with darkness and cruelty. Let's hold out that light of free grace to a world that is starving for love. Let's say, come. And though you have been forsaken and desolate, come. Know the bridegroom. The healing bridegroom who shares his righteousness, who beautifies. And then you, wherever you are, you can rejoice as he rejoices over you. And then, one day, we will sit down together at the marriage feast of the Lamb, all together in unending joy. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.